cold open question to start the show, Brendan. Kevin Durant, top 10 in scoring. What's your favorite Kevin Durant moment of all time? I think it has to be the left wing three over LeBron in the 2017 finals. I think that's the iconic Kevin Durant shot. It's probably the rival that we associate him with the most. We're going to talk about that rivalry today, but that's, that's the... That's the stretch of Kevin Durant's career and the highest of highs, the biggest of stages, the moment of all moments that I'm going to associate him with. However, if his shoe was a little bit smaller, it would be the second round against Milwaukee in 2021, I think. Uh, But we did not get that moment. I have the same one as you. I was in arena for that shot. I was covering the game that night. And in my entire life, Brendan, I've seen some LeBron game winners electrify an arena. I've seen the Warriors beat the Cavs in Cleveland and all the weird energy around that. I've seen some really tense Cavs playoff losses at times. I have never in my life seen an arena go from loud and tense and hopeful to some degree. And then in a snap of one shot, Kevin Durant killed the entire mood in the arena. All-time, cold-blooded NBA Finals dagger. One of the best of all time in the top 10 scoring of all time. Let's get into today's episode of the Just Basketball Show. What is up, everyone? Welcome to the Just Basketball Show, your twice-weekly NBA, WNBA, and more podcast. I'm Chris Manning. That is Brendan Clean with... Brendan, can we count Uncut Gems as a sports movie? You have the shirt on. Can we count that as a sports movie? Like a hard... Yeah, when we had Vince Goodwill on and we were doing basketball speed dating with him, he picked uh, the Spike Lee joint for his favorite. Uh, He got game for his favorite basketball movie i did we didn't have time but i did want to barter and maybe debate with him a little bit about uncut gems i just feel like i have to speak the gospel of this film every chance that i get but yeah kevin garnett is like the third leading star of the film of course it's a sports movie and and joel Embiid was originally supposed to be in that film rajon rondo would have been a contender, I think, at one point to be in that movie. Uh, absolutely a sports film. Mike Francesa is in it. I mean, come on. Yes, it's as absolutely a, a sports movie as a bookie. But if, if someone has gambled and they haven't and they're trying to get a PSA about gambling across, Brendan, they should just like, he's like, hey, have you seen Uncut Gems? And they'll be like, no, I have not. You show them that movie and then it's like, oh, I get that gambling could ruin my life. And there's like any number of two minute snippets from the entirety of that movie that you could just flash to a like a 15 year old who's really, really into sports and just be like, young man, this is this is what you your life is going to be like. You're going to be living in New Jersey and not have a family that loves you and and maybe or maybe not die. That's what's the, headed your way. The voice from Frozen is going to be married to you and despise you is what exactly is exactly going to happen. But we have a jam-packed show today. Previewing the NBA Cup semifinals, that's a Pacers-Bucks matchup, a Lakers-Pelicans matchup. And later in the show, it's Waving the Flag, our weekly segment where we talk about the Magic and the Kings. And it's getting close to slop season in full. So for the Kings, five Kings trade targets. 
we like. But Brennan, let's I have to clarify yeah, something. I, I don't think you stated for any of the audio listeners. I'm wearing an Uncut Gems t-shirt. I just I don't, assume that like we're we're lie. just obsessed, but it didn't yeah. just come out of nowhere that we're just thinking about a random film. So I just want I you know, we're not going I, crazy, yeah. but I should I should have said it explicitly, but I gathered that when I said you're wearing it, I kind of figured they yeah. figure it out. But yeah. that, that's true. Brendan is wearing. Shout it. out to A24. Shout out to Adam Sandler's beautiful face. He is joining us for I the get, show today. I get so many ads, Brendan, for the 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 A24 like AAA like service they have, where you get like discount of merchant stuff. And if I wasn't in like my money saving era, that's like any that's a temptation. That's a real temptation. I've been a member. I got it as a gift last year. Oh. That's not how I bought this shirt though, because this movie is obviously a lot older than that. But you get like a ten percent off and a birthday gift and all sorts of stuff and it is incredibly hard to not hit that purchase button every chance that i get but um that's enough about uncut gems everybody go watch it yeah shout out day 24 as well watch some watch like past lives they've mids they've crazy mid some armor there too good stuff all right uh nba cup brennan let's start with the east let's go east to west here we're getting pacers bucks and I think the player we have to start with is the guy who I think has been the best player in NBA Cup games so far. The guy who is at the is the the herald of the doom that the Indiana Pacers offense brings opposing defenses, and that is Tyrese Halliburton. His first career triple double against Boston. All the big shot making, all the big playmaking. Like what a performance from him! What an arrival for him! Just what a moment for this guy that has been one of the league's ascendant stars this year. The NBA Cup, in so many ways, has been about the ascension of Tyrese Halliburton. Yeah, the Indiana Pacers are what this tournament was made for, right? The Indiana Pacers are a team, and, and Halliburton has been open about this. He had never played on TNT before Monday night. He's basically earning his team attention in the most literal possible sense of what that can mean. They win the group stage handily. They're the first team to clinch. There's your TNT game Monday night. You beat the Boston Celtics on your home court. The arena is exploding. By the way, Gainbridge Fieldhouse seems like a pretty cool arena. The the exterior, the interior, I want to go. I would love to go for All-Star. I don't think I'm going to have the money to do that. But, you know, anyway. Building explodes. There's your game on Thursday night. You get another one. Go to Las Vegas. You're on TNT or I think it's ESPN again. Right. Um, And they. It's not a fluke either. I think that Halliburton wants this like really cares. And I know that it's tempting to talk about the offense. I have one number that I want to throw your way, but I actually was focused more on the defense. In this game, I thought this was the best defensive game I've watched the Pacers play. And it it gave us a little window into when they actually care in these moments what their defense could look like. But uh, I just got done making a TikTok about Nikola Jokic, Chris, and I had his offensive rating. I believe that when he's on the court, the Nuggets are 126.6 or so offensive rating. Tyrese Halliburton is about a point, almost a point and a half better than that with the Pacers when he plays. They're at 127.8. He had 13 assists and no turnovers in this game. He is the closest thing to to me, having watched Steve Nash growing up. He's He feels like that to me, where it is very, very, very hard to get them to make mistakes when they are locked in and when he is orchestrating things. So... This was just the arrival. This was everything that I think the NBA would want for a, an upstart team, and they earned this, I think, in, in every sense of the word. The the Halliburton 
moment he is having is how someone who is a bigger star to the broader NBA universe, which is a gross sounding phrase that I realize I just said, but it's like he's going to be more known in the public eye. Now he is going to be more known as one of those dudes. He's going to be someone that people I think fall in love with as a result. How could you not? How could you not watch this guy play basketball, hear him talk about basketball, hear him, his personality in general? Learn that he's like see his dad. Yeah, well, <laughs> cheering. <laughs> did you see? Also, he he's pulling off an all jean fit, like all like a light wash denim fit before the game. Like the confidence, the 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 swagger, the fact that he's like a big professional wrestling dork. Like this guy is just kind of the superstar that is not like inaccessible he's like an he's becoming this accessible video game offensive freak superstar like that is what he is becoming in front of our eyes and if he gets to hoist a cup at the end of this or is that or and or is named the mvp of the tournament like we're, we're you're looking at now one of like the biggest players in the league to some degree and for indiana like they've talked about how you know Rick Carlo talked to Rob Mahoney and we had Rob Mahoney on the show to talk about Halberton and in his story over at the Ringer. Which, by the way, after that game, I went to the Ringer's homepage the next morning. Was back on the front page. I was like, "Good, you guys know, you guys get it." But like they're they're in this growth phase. They're trying to figure out like how to best build around him. And it, I I would love it. We'll never know exactly because like some of the quotes would be tampering. And and if you ask guys about it, they're not going to give you like a clean answer like that. But I could see a world where he has like this ascendant run and they beat Boston and they beat Milwaukee and maybe they knock off LeBron in the final, which is very possible here. And it's like, man, playing with Tyrese Albert could be cool. Making Indianapolis fun. That's what he's doing. In-season tournament betting odds, MVP. He's fourth. Plus 425. That doesn't make any sense to me. Is that just like a hedge because they might not win and they're just maybe just going to default and give this to like LeBron if the Lakers win or Giannis if the Bucks win? It it is them saying (laughs) it's them saying that the Bucks and the Lakers are going to win and that's why their teams are ahead. But also full season MVP odds. He's devalued there too. Plus 2200. He's behind Shea, Tatum, Luka. To me, he's he's probably right there with Jokic and Embiid right now. I know it doesn't where's, really matter, uh, but... Where, where, where's Chris Middleton? Chris Middleton is first. I'm talking about tier two. <laughs> it's just a given that Middleton's first. Also, we, you know, we'll talk about the Bucks in a minute. You want to talk about Chris Middleton? I'm kind of right there. Uh, look, look, look what happens when he plays he, well. He, but, he, I, he, he looked pretty good. He looked pretty good. Look pretty good. Uh, Tyrese Halberton this season, 202 assists, 40 turnovers. If you're counting at home, that's a 5-to-1 assist-to-turnover ratio for somebody who has an assist rate of 48 and a usage rate of 27. That's just something that should not be possible. Um, He's an absolute madman, and uh, I love watching him play. Can we talk about the defense real quick and then maybe use that to flip to Milwaukee? This is a, the the defense. I think has a two sided question because I think you could look at it and say this was the best high stakes defensive performance we've seen this Indiana team do, and that's true. But I also got just like a wee bit of Boston Celtics big close game offense PTSD. Sure. 
I mean, we'll see if they can do it against Milwaukee, right? That's that's what's going to be so fun about this matchup. But yeah, Boston turned the ball over 17 times. <coughs> they they looked aimless a lot of the time. I mean, their their two shots in the biggest moment were a Jason Tatum like mid post pull up two from like 21 feet at the top of the arc, and then a, a pull up three from the left wing by Tatum. Like that's. That's exactly what we've been watching them do for years. But I just thought the intensity level, the engagement level, the awareness level from Indiana was was where it needs to be. They can probably get from like 30th or wherever they are defensively, I think, Chris, to 20th just by playing like that more consistently. I think that they give up mismatches. They switch too often. They give up cross matches, all these sorts of things, somewhat by way of how fast they play, which we've talked about with their defense before, partially just because they're not that disciplined. They don't have size and they're not really able to kind of control the game like you might want to with physicality and everything else. But I still think if they're communicating, executing the switches on and off ball better like they did, matching up committing to running back on defense so you don't end up with Miles Turner on Jalen Brown or whatever too much, playing guys like Neesmith and McConnell and Bruce Brown more consistently together and and in late-game situations. Like, they have the personnel to be better than this. And I I think this game, holding Boston to 112 and two sub-25 point quarters. Like, if I'm Indiana, if I'm Rick Carlisle, this gives me a little bit of ammunition to say, like, see... Biggest stage, top team in the East, we can do this. I agree. I, I think the personnel was really locked in. I think sometimes you just do need defensive personnel to get locked in, to buy into all of this. I think that's that's sometimes just part of this, right? Like sometimes you just have to get a little bit fortunate in that way. And I think there, there is some luck here, I think, as well, that I'm curious to see how that looks over game two and what this looks like. I haven't had a chance to go back and look at some of this in detail, Brennan, but one of the, the one number that really stuck out to me, these teams were very even in terms of three-point rate. Uh, the percentage of their shots that were threes were basically even. Mm-hmm. Boston shot 28.2% from three, including 20% from the corner. It's pretty bad, particularly mm-hmm. the corner number. Indiana, 47.5, 43.8 from non-corner 62.5 percent on corner threes i mean that that's there's some math thing happening there that i think dictates how this defense looks in this game a little bit but it doesn't take away that that's kind of what boston is to some degree as well like boston is just going to take these shots and that's how mazula wants to play and they they're they have a style built some at least somewhat around the fact that they need lots of their threes to go in and when you know and if you have a game where like they're vulnerable to this if as it happened holiday's one of five tatum's two of eight Derek white's two of nine and jalen brown's two of seven well the other thing is porzingis didn't play and obviously that matters, but it there was another stat that actually feels more like Porzingis did play, which is Boston, who's not an offensive rebounding heavy team, had 13. Cornette was able to impact the game that way. Hauser got a couple of big ones. Horford, it was sort of a group effort outside of Cornette, but that should have helped them, and it, it really didn't either. Um, so those 17 turnovers, the missed threes, that kind of tells the story of the game. Maybe there's some luck involved. There always is, but you could feel Indiana 
stepping it up from an intensity level. And even if it's flukish, there's not a lot of games this year where they've allowed less than 120 and they did it. So, you know, pat them on the back and hope that they can build that momentum from there. Uh, Milwaukee actually kind of felt similarly to Chris. I'll let you have the yeah. floor for the, for the offense. But to me, the third quarter defense when they made their run was the biggest thing. 37 to 24 in that quarter. That was the lowest point scored by the Knicks in, in any quarter. They had more physicality to match Randall. I thought limiting where he was catching it, forcing deflections and, and difficult catches even when they did enter enter it to Randall, and a lot of that was Giannis. And then on the downhill stuff from Brunson and everyone else, Lopez was just looked like he was twenty six again in that in that quarter. And so I think this Indiana Milwaukee game is obviously going to come down to it's going to be 120, 130, 140. Who can get enough stops? Who can get enough key turnover, force enough key turnovers, deflections, stops at the basket, whatever the case might be? And Indiana proved it. They obviously have better personnel on that end, or Milwaukee, sorry, has more personnel on that end. I, I think I favor them. I know that's not a hot take. I know it's the team that should win, but the Pacers are the story. I kind of want the Pacers to win, but the Bucks showed me something by, by also kind of sticking their neck out and saying like, Hey, we also can defend, like don't overlook us. And I think Nikias Duncan had the stat on JJ Reddick's podcast this week that for the past like month or so, the Bucks are actually 12th in defense. So they're trending in the right direction. And, and I think they can take care of business here against Indiana. I mean, Brooke and Giannis have done some pretty incredible stuff. I think they've been really good in spots the last one. I think they were pretty good against Milwaukee. You could look at Julius Randle's stat line and say, were they that good? But I think if you watch them and watch the way they moved and watch the way they contest shots, and could particularly were, were working the Knicks bigs, I think they did a great job. I think this that's like the template of how this team has to play defense, just considering the personnel they're often throwing out that are just there's no way they're going to have good defensive personnel at all five of these spots. That's just baked into this roster. So those two guys have to be massive. Um, and the, 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 how they defend miles Turner as like a stretch factor in this game is going to be really interesting to me because he's obviously capable of shooting threes, but he's not, I don't think you're super scared of miles Turner pick and pop, right? You're not freaking out no. totally. So what is your, how do you, what is the, what do they do in a big game here? How do they approach that? What does Brooks job look like in that case? And it's also just really hard to, to contain Halliburton. I mean, I expect to see Dame really tested defensively in this game in a way that maybe he wasn't against the Knicks fully. I, I think that's going to get scaled up even more so um, next time out. I just imagine that's, that's kind of unavoidable if you're going to get into a close game here. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the Knicks yeah. were, the Knicks were targeting Lillard aggressively. I think that a big part of the evolution for, for Brunson has been getting into mismatch attacking stuff very quickly. That's one of the, I think, like the steps that separates the LeBrons and Lucas and Hardens from the guys who try to play like them, who are masquerading as like heliocentric guys, is it's one thing to be like, okay, I want to attack so-and-so, you know, Lillard. Let's dribble up. Let me find him. Let me have his guy come set a screen. Now there's eight seconds left. Okay, I'm going to attack him. Well, no, you're going to shoot a contested jumper. But Brunson sets those double screens quickly, 
gets the defense in rotation while attacking the other guy. And that set a template for what I think Indiana is going to be able to do because they're not going to put Lillard on Halliburton. They're going to probably put Beasley on Halliburton, which, okay, like, you know, I don't know how much different or better that actually is. He's a little bigger. But Halliburton should be watching that next tape using those ghost screens and, and double screens with healed involved and saying like, we're going to make Damian Lillard have to guard. Um, I just kind of have it built in that Halliburton's going to go off. I think it's the other stuff that, that might get taken away. If Milwaukee can have a, a better transition defense night, if they can, you know, limit some of the, you know, open threes and, and take some of that stuff away and, and whatever. I think that's where this game's going to be decided, but yeah, it's going to be a high scoring thing. I think either way. The Bucks' offense against the Knicks, I think the last thing to say here before we make, I guess, picks for that game was just outrageous. 144.8 offensive rating, had a 74.1 effective field goal percentage, 38%, um, excuse me, 62%, 62.9% from three, 38% of their shots, 52 on above the break threes. We're really good um, in the short mid and the long mid and, and, and all over a major overall mid range, which kind of added to this. And even though they didn't get a ton of shots at the rim, only 30% of their shots at the rim, 76% of the rim, they were efficient just about everywhere on the floor. They did what they were incredible in the half court. They did really well in transition, did really well. Fe- absolutely feasted on putbacks in this game. Despite like not, they didn't offensive rebound as well as the Knicks. It's kind of hard to do that, and but they were ultimately more efficient in their opportunities in that space. Just a really, really good Bucks offensive performance. Two things popped for me. Number one, I thought Chris Middleton looked smooth. Still only played twenty six minutes. Maybe you know you were we were texting during this, wondering if he should get pulled out late just because he'd played so many minutes already. But I thought looked really smooth. Had some kind of vintage, which feels wrong to say, but kind of the 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 healthy slick in between space sliding around Chris Middleton on offense. That was really nice to see. And I think the Damian Lillard Brooke Lopez pick and roll is getting there. That pick and roll, you're seeing them have some nice passes where they're spreading it out. Dave makes a pretty straightforward read to Brooke in the pocket. Brooke's either getting a, a layup right there, or there's someone sliding in from the corner of the dunker spot that he can he can give it to. They're not complex actions, but they're that they're building chemistry, they're building rhythm in that set. And they're I think as much as we can look at the Pacers attacking, I think in, I think Milwaukee can have a ton of offensive success with that action and and with Dame in particular in this matchup. Yeah, and I think. It just helps to have Middleton as one more playmaker, one more capable guy who's going to make the right play when the ball gets into his hands, whether that's initiating something so Lillard can start a possession off the ball, whether that is, you know, ending a possession, needing to score in an isolation or post-up situation as we know Middleton can do. That one additional guy goes such a long way for them. And with the Lillard-Lopez thing or any sort of those combinations that they might be able to do, I think the the big thing for Indiana will be don't give up those switches because Boston might think they're a mismatch attacking team. They're really not. They want the mismatch, and then they're going to take the same kind of shot no matter what mis- what matchup they have. The Bucks will attack it, right? If you switch that and Lillard has Miles Turner or if Lopez is now being guarded by like Bruce Brown they'll go to that they'll make Giannis into a post-up guy in you know an early offense seal situation or whatever the case may be and um, yeah I think the last thing I want to say is just Giannis this year the you mentioned that they were good in that mid-range area he was 14 of 21 from two 
this season, this is always the bellwether for him, 38% for mid-range and 38% on those floaters. Last year, he was excellent. I thought he had an MVP case up until about the last month of the year. Those numbers were at 28 and 32. Just being a little bit better, even though it's still below league average, goes a long, long way for him and how he can keep the defense honest and, and be a real threat from all over the court. So um, obviously that's bigger picture than just this game, but I'm not really sure who guards him on that. Good God, God uh, be with Obi Toppin, I guess, on Thursday night, but he's going to have a, his way, I think. The last kind of silly thing, this was my number two consideration for the cold open. Brennan, did you see the post-game interview with Jared Greenberg where Giannis was sort of questioning capitalism? Uh, I did not. So he got he didn't know he was getting money for this? And he just goes, the rich get richer. That's how, when he get when he found that he was getting a hundred thousand dollars, and 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 he was getting asked by the interviewer like, "Oh, you're gonna gamble in Vegas for your birthday because you're gonna be there and all this stuff." And he's like, "The rich get richer," and he said it so seriously. And I was just like, he's like, Dang. "America makes no sense to me," and I yeah. I agree, Giannis. As someone who came from extreme poverty, uh, Giannis under the Kumpo is like, "I do I need another hundred thousand dollars when I have my Nike money and my massive NBA contract? Can I like could like?" Thanasis probably hasn't made as much money. Maybe my brother could get some of that thousand dollars. Like he's like, can, is it too late to sign Alex for the weekend and and get him yeah, in on this? Yeah, yeah, like yeah. It was just, it was just. I've never seen an athlete. I, like we've seen deadpan before. I've never seen an athlete like deadpan an answer that was like meant to be like in good spirit, but just really like I just don't want to. Like I don't care about this hundred thousand dollars. Like rich get richer Absolutely. Is, is a is a bar from be honest. All right, picks. Uh, let, looking at odds, Brendan, the Bucks are on the, from our friends at BetMGM, minus 110. Uh, or excuse me, yeah, minus 110, just straight up. Actually, I'm, just, I'm just saying this. Minus 4.5 against the spread. Pacers are plus 4.5. The money line picking them out, right? The Bucks are minus 190. The Pacers plus 155. Over under I'm going total, Milwaukee. Uh, I am going Milwaukee as well. I'm all, I would also take the over on the 254. Yeah, agreed. I think those are two safe bets. I mean, 127 apiece is, or, you know, 128, 127 final score, I guess, would have to be the lowest it could go. I just don't see either of these teams consistently stopping the other one. It'll just come down to who does it more often in the last five minutes, I think. I think we're getting a close game. I think we're getting a high pace game. And I think Milwaukee pulls it away. I think Milwaukee wins as well. I'm just going best player. I'm going Dame. The last time these two teams played 126 to 124 game, Dame did not play. Mm-hmm. I think we're going to get... And Dame is one of the best clutch players in the league this year. Uh, you know, we don't have time for those numbers, but he's been very, very good, even with some cluttered half-court offense and everything else. Exactly. Dame time. That may, yeah. Maybe maybe him being higher than Tyrese on the in-season tournament MVP odds is, is the right way to go. We might see a magical late-game performance from him, but uh, I'm looking forward to this one. I am too. I can't, cannot wait. That's going to be... I believe that is, what, an 8 p.m. Eastern time? 7 p.m. Eastern time tip? No, the games are weird. You, you haven't seen that? It's at a uh, five Eastern. Oh, I'd not for some assume seven. strange reason. I don't know why. I have not seen a good answer. The games are four hours apart. I'm sure there's some sort of thing that explains it, but that also means that it is two p.m. local in the vicinity that it's being held in, which is Vegas. Well, I don't get if it. If you're ever if you're ever gonna do a two p.m. start, the place you could pull it off is probably Las Vegas, Nevada. 
Is anybody awake at 2 p.m. in Vegas, though? Yeah, I think. I mean, people just don't really okay. sleep in Las Vegas, I think, is the energy, Brendan. I don't get it. I'm sure there'll be some sort of answer that we get, but yeah, uh, 2 p.m. local, 5 Eastern, pick the bucks, an bet hour, the over. An, an hour of Stephen A. in between games on your television. All right. And the arena will be full of Lakers fans. This entire oh. arena is going to be full of uh, Angelinos with gold, obnoxious clothing on, and we all will hate it. Yeah. That's if you've been to Summer League... Yeah, Summer League, we I bought a hat that went... So, Brennan and I went, the Lakers-Pelicans, we'll talk about next. Went to Summer League. I'm a, I'm a big dad hat guy, so I bought a Summer League dad hat. The, um, they only had one hat, in that was like a, a dad hat, not a snapback, not like a fitted. It was a, It's a white hat, gold and purple, NBA logo, Summer League. It's Lakers colored. They know. This they is know. Like, this is going to be a Lakers home game, and that's Lakers-Pelicans. Lakers... Minus 1.5 on the spread, Pelicans plus 1.5. Over-unders at 229.5, significantly lower than the other game, which seems fair. Lakers, in turn, just picking an outright winner. Minus 120, Pelicans plus 110. So this game's a little bit closer as far as the odds go. Yeah. I, I Let's start with the Pelicans, Brendan, because Brandon Ingram, to me, in the first game, was in their win over the the Kings was the story in a lot of ways. I think you got some really good Zion stuff in that game. There's no doubt about that. But Weird stat line really, for him. He had like an awesome third quarter and nothing else. Right, but he did enough. It kind of worked. To me, Ingram having playing 40 minutes, had 30 points, really high usage, had a, had a really good assist percentage versus turnover percentage in that game, was efficient. I, I was just a really into this Brandon Ingram performance. He was, I think, the main reason they got by throwing Herb Jones going 8 to 13 from the field and 3 of 5 from 3. Like, this game was just a good encapsulation of the. They're not just relying on Zion going nuclear. Like, Ingram can do this. McCollum can give you good minutes. Herb Jones can have a random game here or there. Like, this was a pretty good win for a Pelicans team that is absolutely ascending right now. Yeah. The, the, the blueprint, the recipe for them was a crazy havoc wrecking defense in the second quarter with Najee Marshall and Jose Alvarado, a nice third quarter from Zion and Brandon Ingram bailing them out offensively throughout the game. I thought, you know what I thought about actually during this Ingram performance, Chris is if he had played like this with team USA, things go very differently. There might be a gold medal in his closet Mm -hmm. because He's playing somewhat of a similar role to what he was asked to do with Team USA. Like, are there more mid-post ISOs and and face-up opportunities for him to kind of do his Carmelo Anthony thing? Yeah, obviously, on a team that doesn't have a bunch of stars, he gets to do that more. But whether it's McCollum initiating or Zion initiating, which happens a lot, he's really having to attack out of spot up situations or kind of late clock bail us out types of moments. And he's very, very decisive. He's playing with good flow, I think in the half court and just getting to his spots confidently, making the right read on what the defense is giving up and just making shots. And it's probably not the role he's most comfortable in, but when he excels in it, 38 and six with just two turnovers on 50% shooting, like he gets his opportunities. So 
He's definitely sacrificing more than Zion to make this whole thing work. They have a roster that allows both of those guys to lean very heavily toward offense. Most of the time when they're on the court, that's fine. It's working. And I think this game, I mean, you, you probably want more Zion overall. I think it was just sort of a weird one for him and his minutes were down. Uh, but this can carry them a long way. And I think that they have a higher offensive ceiling when both of those guys are going and Trey Murphy now is back. McCollum now is back. They have a higher offensive ceiling than the Lakers. I think that's for sure. I think this game is going to be about, can the Lakers slow them down? Can the Lakers keep up? But they have the upper hand in terms of scoring consistently, which is obviously what you have to do to win basketball games. I think you have to be pretty optimistic if you're a Pelicans fan, even though it will be Lakers mania in that building and you know nobody in the national media is going to want to pick the Pelicans and all that stuff. But this is, this is primed for the little brother upset, I think. Also, Trey Murphy back. Very fun to see him back. I think he could have a really big role in the game we're about to see. Um, it's He's one of the breakout candidates we have here. He is absolutely playing real minutes right off the bat, not starting, but playing 26 minutes a night. Yeah, it's I think he has 15-plus points in both of his games since coming back from a freaking torn... What did he have? What's the what's that? Meniscus. Mini, mini, yeah, meniscus, yep. That's crazy. Taking a ton of threes. 69% of his shots are from three so far. Just absolutely like... He's not really getting to the rim at all, and it not like he's just hoisting threes. But but that's what they need. I mean, they just need consistent spacing. I mean, that's what they were. They got great minutes out of Jordan Hawkins and Matt Ryan. And they just, you know, they have enough defense. They have enough creators. It's just like role player Palooza over there. And he's playing like a role player plays. I think he's going to be a huge part for them the rest of the season. Lakers, I don't think I the, their win against the Suns, Brendan, I think is kind of marred a controversy as far as what we can take from this game and apply it forward. I think it's pretty simple. It's they're pretty big. They have LeBron James who's playing out of his mind. Anthony Davis is healthy and playing well right now. They're just a good basketball team. That's going to get a lot of different things. Austin Reeves, I think, is picking it up a little bit late. I think the shot he had at the end of this game maybe gives him some momentum going forward, if you believe in that sort of thing, to, to, in a psychological sense. But do you, do you, I'm just going to put you, I'm going to ask you kind of point. I'm point. sorry. I have to, I have to interrupt you. I have to interrupt. Yes. So as you were talking, the two last two minute report came out. I checked because I had it up all day. I hit refresh probably 53 Brent, times. He, Brendan's just, just spamming that mf you know? and I, Literally. I yeah. And I don't know if you've looked at these before. I have. I have, not this one. So there's a little code with acronyms. You look at the play. You look at what the acronym is. And that tells you what the refs are telling us they got right versus what they got wrong at the 10.2 sorry the 7.4 second mark comment from the officials LAL is granted a timeout when Reeves recovers the ball and pins it against his leg before he loses it again I go to the review decision column and there is a CC there which means correct call they are standing by giving the Lakers a timeout when there is no possession of the ball because they say he Reeves recovered it, pinned it against his leg. And then the timeout happened at exactly the moment because do you want to know who called the timeout? Do you, do you happen to recall who called the timeout, Chris Adam silver? 
<laughs> yeah, no. Uh, LeBron James, who might as well be Adam Silver, called that timeout. And this is your personal, this is your so, personal grassy knoll, I think. It's ridiculous, man. I mean, look, let's... So the Suns did get hosed, to answer your question. But I think that the other part of this is the first half that they played is one of the worst I've ever seen them play this season. Um, they turned the ball over... It was nine times in the first quarter. I think it was 12 to 15 in the first half. Devin Booker's just dropping the ball. Drew Eubanks played maybe the worst half I've ever seen of an NBA player uh, this season because Yusuf Nurkic was in foul trouble. And I mean, Eubanks is their backup center. He has to play minutes. And guys weren't making shots really well. They were when they could actually set their offense. But it was just the possession game was a complete L for the Suns in the first half. And they went down big and had to fight back. So they should never have been in a position where LeBron James is getting a phantom timeout to win it and, and, and all that stuff. But I guess the answer is yes to your question. But big picture, the Suns should not have... They shouldn't have been putting themselves in that situation. There are like 40 comments on this last two minute report though, Chris. There's like eight different plays that they're having to know. It's more, it's like 15. What did you think? What did you think of the whole thing late in the game and the way the Suns played overall and what the Lakers can maybe take from it? I think the Sun side of it is the first half is everything you said. It was really bad. I thought Booker was just off. You know, I, I just, he, the decision-making for a rush, he was, whatever it was, just something wasn't click, clicking for him. For them to come back, I think, shows some real resiliency. I think it shows a real buy-in to that group. That's that's always what those comebacks do some degree tell me. So I like that part of it. I think they got hosts. No question. I don't, their odds of winning, I, would, I don't know what the, the exact, like, flip of what that would say. But definitely. I would imagine the thing. Lakers were still favored to win in that moment because they were mm-hmm. up. Yes. So they're still an uphill battle. But Most of the like game, to, yeah. You'd like to probably feel like you're going out on, on real footing. So there's that part of it. Did you know that the uh, take foul can't get called in the last two minutes? No, that's ridiculous. I never knew that. That's kind of ridiculous. That was the explanation given for that one because the whole Suns team and the whole coaching staff thought that Booker was fouled with a take foul in that in that one spot. And I guess that that can't be called against players in the last two minutes of games. It's it's just allowed or it's just a regular foul, not the two foul shots plus possession. It's just a normal foul. It's like so in the most important spot of the game, this rule doesn't apply that I that I, I can't understand that. But I'm, I'm venting now. You, you can have the floor. No bizarre i mean honestly it wasn't even like a great lakers performance below average offensive rating pretty poor under 50 percent shooting at the rim 31 percent from three like in some ways they're kind of a little bit lucky to get through this i mean of the winners i think arguably the least impressive performance that we saw of the winners i don't think that's a crazy thing yeah i mean our guy zayon who does our tiktoks did a video just before we recorded about the, the the offense and just the lakers in general ad had an awesome first half disappeared in the second half he hit the offensive boards hard which was a big dis- decisive thing about how this game played out 21 for the lakers just eight for the suns but this was another game where they needed lebron to be a superhero i mean it wasn't much different than a lot of the other games have been what do you think Austin what do you think LeBron says to Austin Reeves if he doesn't make that three? Hope you like Chicago MFR? I don't know. Yeah. How about let me touch the ball at the end of the fucking game next time? 
That was crazy yeah. that LeBron doesn't even touch the ball in that possession. And, and Reeves pulls up with like 15 left on the clock, up three, needing a bucket to keep the comeback dead by Phoenix and just buries it. A guy who like Lakers fans have been hating on all season got moved to the bench, takes the biggest shot of their season and cans it like he's like fucking Reggie Miller. Insane. We all have, we all have some random Jordan Poolness in us, you know, just pulling up from, from where we do. See fit. That, that just happens sometimes. Uh, two things. What's your pick? The Lakers. No, yeah, uh, go for just it. La- the last two things. Didn't turn the ball over at all, which certainly helped them. Massive disparity in, in who turned the ball over and who did in this game. That was a big deal for Lakers, and they killed the Suns on the offensive glass. That That's the two things yep. that I think helped buoy them a little bit to kind of eat this one out. And that's how they have to win. And that's their yeah. style. I think they'll probably shoot a little bit better. Um, you would think um, picking LeBron. Yeah, who? which poor soul on, on New Orleans? It's going to be Herb Jones, right? Yeah, and Herb Jones is not strong. And Valanchunas at the basket. If you thought that LeBron has been eating Yusuf Nurkic alive in those three Lakers-Suns matchups this season, watch when the less athletic version of Yusuf Nurkic now gets an opportunity at it uh, in the form of, of Valanchunas. It's not going to be pretty. But I mean, can I, Let me tell you what LeBron's shooting at the rim this year. Uh, 73. 600%. <laughs> he's at 77% at the rim. It doesn't make any sense. Uh, Yesterday was the first day, and obviously this is because I'm a Suns fan. Yesterday was the first day where I was like, all right, I'm fucking sick of it. I'm tired of it. I'm mad now. I'm mad that he's doing this. Like... Most of last season, it was just awe because the Suns didn't have any sort of force in the race, and it was just cool to watch their turnaround late in the season with the trades, and you can be like, wow, Rob is actually somewhat decent at his job, and they have some guys who are developing, and Jared Vanderbilt's cool to watch. Last night, I was like, all right, I'm, I'm sick of it. Retire. My Brendan, my you personal bum. like my my personal like feeling, my player that like a lot of people feel that way towards LeBron. I think mine's just Mitchell Robinson at this point because I'm just so <laughs> sick, of, like just the, just the rebounds. You know, I'm just like man, this guy's just gobbled him. It's incredible. You're just walking around your house and he, you just like see him in the corner, like he's just in your in your psyche. He's just haunting your home and your every breath. The problem is that it's like I love the way he plays and I love the story this week that he invited his old high school coach to move in with him because his old high school coach's wife passed away. And I was like, mm-hmm. what a sweet guy. Now, he has yeah. like a shit ton of pets, which is, is like kind of weird, but, you know, fascinating he's, guy. He's good. Uh, yeah, he's, he's the right guy to scare you. He would also probably be able to hurt you pretty good if you ever crossed him. So, you know, physically, it's, it's a good guy to be intimidated by, I think. Same with LeBron. Yeah. But, so I, yeah, I'll, I'll pick – I will pick the Pelicans just to add some, some flavor here. I, I think this game will end small. Yeah. I think that we will see – the Pelicans close with McCollum, Murphy, Jones, Ingram, and Zion. And obviously the Lakers will close with AD at the five. And I think it'll come down to Ingram, if I'm being honest. Because I think that AD will be able to neutralize Zion drives pretty well. And Zion doesn't really have a backup plan, if that happens. But if Ingram can can keep playing as smoothly as he was, I think that they have a real shot. So I'll, I'll pick the Pelicans. Um, they are Final. what minus? They're plus one hundred. That's not crazy. Mm-hmm. Could happen. No, it's this. This is much more even than the other ones. Even though, like I kind of part of me thinks there's a world where the Pacers have a better shot of winning than the Pelicans, just because I'm just kind of in love with the Pacers right now. But 
So if you're okay, so you have you have a Bucks Pelicans final. I have a Lakers Bucks final. I'm gonna pick the. I'm just gonna say LeBron gets the inaugural NBA Cup. I'm just gonna ride that out. And I, well, and I, we have time. I, yeah. we're, we're recording Friday. Don't don't spoil. Okay, I'm just I'm just filling out my bracket. You know, that's true. Yeah. Well, what a surprise! You picked LeBron. I could have filled that bracket out for you. That's true. In pen, probably. Yeah. I am who I am. You know, we are who we are. We all have our flaws. Mine is I just want I. I like honestly though, the 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 two matchups. If I could pick like one v one matchups to see the rest of this way, Brendan, in the final, I think it's LeBron versus Giannis or Tyrese Halliburton versus Herb Jones. Yeah, I I don't think Zion is is selling the way that the league was hoping at this point in time. So maybe they just got to pivot to Herb Jones and start marketing around him. Maybe uh, Jordan Brand needs to do the Herb ones. Just a not, just some amazing not on herb shirts. Exactly. Can you imagine the can you imagine the crowd for the who do you think's buying all the secondhand tickets if if the Lakers don't win the final? I got an email from the league that said that the tickets for Thursday were twenty five percent off, which did not feel like a great indicator to me. <laughs> they were like, I mean, last minute buy buy your NBA Cup tickets twenty five percent off for tomorrow. I'm like, well, I'm not driving to Vegas, but if I were, twenty five percent off sounds pretty nice. The, this this one of the tweaks and and we should we'll do like a post mortem I think to some degree about the inaugural tournament. One of the things I wonder is if it's not if they have to if they should move it out of Vegas and not have it in Vegas every single year and like like move it around like through the Final Four. It's like hey I Randy, wouldn't hate that. Yeah, like hey, one year it's in Montreal. <laughs> one year we're gonna do it in Europe. One year we're gonna do it in Mexico City. One year. You know, we're gonna I just think they don't want it to be a disruption, you know, like they already have to pat it on either side with these off days and like make it kind of almost like an all star break type of week. And to add all that travel would be kind of crazy. I also think the thing that I wonder is what happens to Summer League and this and even Ignite and some of these other things when in a future Vegas has a, a team. Future. Exactly where I was going to go. Because yeah. this is just now that just becomes a, a, a literal home game, you know, and summer league, you know, these other owners are going to be like, hold on, such and such Vegas owner gets like the, all this shit in their backyard, LeBron. you know, and I'm out here in like Orlando just clamoring for like any fans to come to my games. Like, how is this fair? So that'll be interesting. The, M- the 2030 NBA Cup live from Topeka, Kansas coming to you shortly. Is there you go. We're, we're getting out there. All right. Waving the flag, our weekly segment where we talk about two teams we're in love with this year, and we're waving our we're waving our flag on the Kings and the Magic. Real quick, though, got to tell you about Thrive Fantasy. Thrive Fantasy is a player prop DFS platform where you can pick more or less on your favorite players across multiple sports, including the NBA and NFL. Sign up today with our code Just Basketball, all caps, all one word, and Thrive will match your first deposit up to two hundred and fifty bucks. All right, Brendan, let's talk about the Orlando Magic. Recently wrapped up a big um, trip, Win streak. Three, long winning streak. Excuse me, my brain just absolutely crapped out on itself for some reason. A situation where you look under the hood, I think some of the numbers are really interesting. That it, There's some high variance, like Palo three-point shooting in there, but this was very much a defensive oriented the way they've won all your win streak with wins over the Bulls, the Pacers, the Raptors, the Nuggets, the Celtics, Hornets, and the Wizards. So I, we look ahead at this, and they're going to get Wendell Carter Jr. back soon. They have a game against Cleveland that's taking place after we finish recording. 
th this team is feeling more and more real to me. And I think getting Wendell Carter back and, and getting him who is good as in quality, at least good enough when they've gotten those centers back. This is this is good to get him back. This is good to have someone who Franz Wagner has called the anchor of their defense back out there. Well, yeah, he's the anchor of their defense. I think it's just, it's going to change how they play for a few reasons. Um, I mean, I think they're absolutely for real. I almost think, you know, we, we got to own the, the flag waving and, and not ask the small market uh, doubt question, the small market hater question of, is it real? They've proven it. It's real. They're here. What I will say about the injury situation first before we dive in on Carter is Markel Fultz is out with knee tendonitis and there's basically been no kind of progress from what it seems like and that is worrisome for him, which we obviously know the injury history with him and obviously for, I think he's a free, is he free agent this year? And his future and their, you know, roster building and all that. So something to keep an eye on. But Carter seems to progress. They gave an update on November 28th that he had basically healed and was now just kind of working his way back into basketball shape. They expected him to be reevaluated about two weeks after that point, which is coming up any day now. He just was not having a very good offensive season before the injury. 41% from two-point range, which is ugly for a, a big man. His assists were down and his turnovers were pretty much stagnant. So his assist to turnover ratio is like one-to-one. -one. He's a playmaking big, you know, who is supposed to be kind of physical and athletic inside. He just hasn't been playing like that. His three-point shot, he does not seem... I've always felt he doesn't have a lot of confidence in it, which limits how much of a weapon it can really be. Like Al Horford was the comp when he was at Duke. I can kind of see it at times. He's not quite as long as Al, but they play similarly. The thing with Al, especially late in his career, is he just lets it fly from three. So if Carter's not going to do that, he's a little cold from two it starts to gum things up in a way that I don't think that they had to worry about when they were getting extra possessions with offensive rebounds, floor spacing, and quick decision-making from Mo Wagner and, and Gogo Batadze, which those guys are not elite players. They're not starting caliber players, in my opinion, but they filled a very specific role that I think helped maximize what the offensive engines of the team were and I'm not sure how Wagner or how Carter replicates that. I think that that's the big question on offense that I have for them um, is, is sort of what does he do to, to replicate or approximate what those guys were doing? I don't know if he does. I think that their offense will take a hit. I think if this team had guard play that I liked better, this would be less of a concern. Like if they had mm -hmm. offensive guard play where they had pull up three point shooting, they had some dy more dynamicism off ball, even like if Fred Van Vliet was this team's point guard, and this is a name we've talked about with them a lot because there was the reported interest and whatnot, like I think this wouldn't be as much of a concern. I think if you just had mm -hmm. someone that came in and was going to fill that need in some way, great. I think there's no there's no real concern, but I think you're dead right. I, who would you rather see remain as the actual backup center, Wagner or Batate? Wagner's better, I think. Yeah, I agree. Also the brother yeah. attacks. 
Yeah. I mean, he's making more money too. And the brothers, um, and, and the magic of been pushing the brother thing, uh, Jake Fisher did a, a feature on them and then they both went on pardon my take. So like, sure. I think the magic are like, let's ride this shit as long as we can. We got two dudes who look like each other. Let's just maximize that. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think to like, I've, I've brought up the comp of like their Pelicans East. I know we'd made the joke about they're both kind of in the East, but McCollum is a version of what you're talking about, right? Like the Pelicans play some gummed up lineups. Valanchunas is not always a spacer. Nance is not always a spacer. They have to play Zion at the five. Sometimes he doesn't shoot threes, but with McCollum's dynamic ability, they have some shooting at other spots and Ingram and Zion are so good making shots in tight spaces. It doesn't affect it as much. The magic don't have that luxury. They don't always put lineups on the court because they have to play Sugg so much that can shoot. And so, yeah, I think that, I think you're going to see things shrink in the half court. I think you're going to see Carter Jr.'s lack of aggressiveness and hesitation to take shots, blow up some possessions. I mean, that's just, it's just the reality. We're now going to see him kind of adjust to being on this team and that's fine. It'll take time, but uh, I think it will be an adjustment phase. However, on the defensive end, Mm -hmm. this dude's filthy uh teams take six percent fewer shots at the rim with carter jr on the court they make nine percent fewer of them and teams are shooting 46.6 percent within six feet when carter jr is on the court you're telling me that at in the restricted area basically in the paint teams make less than half of their shots when carter jr is the closest defender like we're you said that their recipes defense and, and some of these other ingredients, their defense is going to get even better. So I think you're just going to see the disparity between offense and defense grow in the minutes that he's on the court. Um, maybe the answer is just play him a little bit less and kind of make him earn it and say, Hey, Mo's been playing great. We trust him out there. If you're going to fit into this team and help us continue to win, you got to fit into what we're doing offensively. You got to take shots when they're there. You got to play off of these star players better. And if not, you're going to be, you know, a 25 minute per game starter. I think that might be what Jamal Mosley has to do here. I like that chat a lot. Last thing on the magic for me, I just want to continually say that I'm in love with the way Jalen Suggs plays defense. There was a, a game against the Wizards during this win streak where he, he, he is the way he, a number one, the way he walks when you're dribbling the ball up the court is like the way a strong safety is like moving before the snap in football. Like, I don't think I've seen another guard except maybe, like, Caruso really move like this in the way he is locked in and the way, like, the footwork is so precise. And he's not gearing himself up and working himself into a shoot and then getting himself in trouble. He's just, like, locked in this way. So he's defending a cross half court. There's, like, a little poke free of the ball to Kyle Kuzma. He ends up having to defend Kyle Kuzma after kind of a non-planned switch. Kuzma works off kind of a, a, a couple eh, screens. Suggs just sticks with him, sticks with him, sticks with him, absorbs contact, rebounds, and he gets twisted around, and he still has the wherewithal to like keep his arms up and contest the shot, so Kuzman takes a bad long jumper. This guy is absolutely just dogged and an absolute menace. Magic Reddit is going a wee bit too far on asking if he should be in the defensive player of the year conversation. Like, we're not there, but he's really good. And If he can grow a few inches, he might have a shot. Otherwise, uh, Marcus Smart got the once per generation when that happens. So, uh, yeah, yeah, probably not. Took, right. 
But this is a guy that, like, if you're building out the guard rotation going forward, I want to find... He's part of this team's identity to me with the way he's playing def- defense. Absolutely part oh, yeah. of the way the team's identity is shaping right now. And that's... that For a guy like Suggs, who I think we were wondering, at least I was, where exactly he was going to fit in, the way he's playing defense this year is making him part of what they're doing, and that's really cool to see. Well, and look, he's shooting 37% from three. Like, he's one of these guys where you think he's not a good shooter and somehow you look up the stats every week or so and he's making threes. So, yeah, he uses every single one of the fouls allotted to him. He's averaging four per 36 minutes. He's averaging five per 100 possessions. But that's why he's out there. And, and, and confidence is such a big thing for guys like that. So he might not make the threes, but <clears throat> I think the coaching staff riding with him and I think him continuing to take what's there, have the ball in his hands. That's been another thing with Fultz out is he just gets to play point guard basically, which I think is when he's most comfortable. All that is going to pay off in the long run uh, for sure. But ready for trade talk, ready for slop. Let's go to the magic. So, or excuse me, the Sacramento Kings. Let's do some trades. Brendan, I have five names. I don't know how many you've, have you also prepared five names? I prepared five and then I have, I actually have eight. Okay, so here's what I think we should do. We can rapid fire through these, and we can each just name yeah. a guy. And if it's on the list, you, my list is in the docs. So you may have, you're I think already looking at it, so it's less of a surprise. But I'm gonna throw out one first, uh, and it's the I think the the biggest name that we know is probably gonna get traded sooner than later. That's Zach Levine. I just think you, even if I don't, exa- I I have to really think hard about what the price I would be, the price I would pay for Levine is, and how he fits mm-hmm. Fox. I think is a question. And if that's the right way you want to cash in chips, I think that's just a name from a scoring perspective, from a from another creative perspective that I think should be on on their list of trade targets. And it's been reported that they do have some interest. Yeah, I think he fits with Fox fine. My question with Zach Levine on this team is obviously the money. Fox is quietly could become supermax eligible if he were to make all nba this year i i think that sacramento would be in kind of a bind and and maybe it would become a little bit of a jalen brown situation where they're not like capital w worth it if you were to just rank everybody in the nba on a spreadsheet and do the whole money ball thing but they probably would have to pay it to him so money is going to become a big factor for them very soon the other question i have with zach levine on the kings is how much better is he than malik monk I know he's better. Question. Yeah. But is but it worth offensive box plus think? minus this year? Offensive box plus minus this year. Zach Levine is at 1.0. And then a lot of those things are, are based on team success and everything else. Last year, Zach Levine, offensive box plus minus 2.7. Malik Monk this year, 3.2. And last year, 1.6. So I think everybody would agree Zach Levine's better, but that would be my question. All right. My first one. We'll just let's just have the conversation now. Alex Caruso. I this this to me I almost like more than Levine just because get an I get a really good defender in there who you and they need another defender on this team. Can play heavy minutes. You don't you don't totally need him to like you're one of the teams that I think can absorb Caruso's like PJ Tucker disease where he doesn't always want to shoot and like it's not the end of the world for you in the way that I think it could be for some other teams a, a little bit of a concern. I just like this fit a lot and it's a good contract. It would fill a need for them. I almost like this one more than I like the Levine one. Yeah, I, I absolutely like it more than I like the Levine one. I think that the thing that's valuable about Caruso on a team like this, especially that needs defense in a lot of different places, is 
Caruso can defend one through four and you trust it. He's he's like Drew Holiday in that way, right? So it's not like you get Caruso and you're like, all right, that's only going to be our Steph Curry defender or our Devin Booker defender or our Jamal Murray defender. It's like, no, he can probably be a guy who defends Kawhi Leonard or LeBron James, you know? And so I think as, as far as the versatility goes, when you have Harrison Barnes and Kevin Herter and De'Aaron Fox and Malik Monk, who are all sort of weak, weaker defenders, Caruso can be plugged in wherever you need him to be, and I like that a lot. I had as a backup for Caruso if they were to strike out there. DeLon Wright might be available in Washington. Kind of a similar type of player, more of a point-of-attack defender, but he could be kind of a plan B. I just expect him to be pretty aggressive, so I think it's not like, oh, we didn't get Caruso. Let's pack up our bags and go home. Like We kind of have to be multifaceted about it. Uh, what's your next one? Pascal Siakam. Yeah, make the case for this one, not just because he's a good player. Do you think he fits here? The fit's a little bit of a question for sure. But I think you look at the defensive stuff he could give them, a different function on offense, just enough spacing for it not to feel super clogged. Maybe you could unleash some weird small ball Pascal Siakam five lineups and just get weird. I just kind of I li- I do like the talent bet if I'm them. I like the defensive capabilities of Siakam. I like the different functions it could add to your offense. I just like this kind of size player on this team. And, and him and Keegan would be an amazing duo that you could do a lot of fun things with. And I think they'd be, it'd be good partners for Fox. So I just like trying to make the talent that has clear skills you could use, even if it's imperfect work for you, even if there definitely is some concerns, the money part of it is obviously another question with this. It's like, are you, you're, if you trade for him, you better be willing to just throw him the money to make him stay. The thing that I like about Siakam as somebody who thought that the Kings should have made a push for John Collins is the help defense. And he's a much, much better help defender and defender overall than John Collins is. The other part that I like to your point about size is if you're able to get a a bigger four to replace Barnes, suddenly you have you go from a very small team to a very big team kind of with one move, right? Like you watch that Pelicans game and I know we mentioned Zion had a weird night, but when he was aggressive, Barnes stood no chance. Barnes was just getting bowled over. And so what I like about Siakam is he could just level up their size overall. I just don't, I just haven't seen him play in a, in a quick decision up tempo offense in so long that it would be a pretty big bet that he could adjust his game on offense quite a bit and probably have to become a more willing three-point shooter than he's been and so all that adds up to i'm not a huge fan of it uh if i'm being honest but i'll say og and anobi also on my list. i'm more of a fan of more of a fan of og because i think that he is more plug and play as hey go defend the best wing or guard on the opposing team and then stand in the corner and make some threes for us and the question i would have i've two i have two things about that i'll say one positively i think him and murray is is i think a better fit than siakam and murray because then murray could just play the four a little bit more seamlessly there's not Mm -hmm. like weird reconfiguration so the plug and play point mate dead accurate the thing i don't like is all the chatter we've heard for so long is that is that og wants a bigger role og wants more responsibility to do more on offense i don't want to bring him in and have him do that 
Yeah, but you know what the thing is? I don't think he's good enough to do that. So any team that expects that or plans to appease him when they acquire him is already wrong. So I think that the organization that that acquires OG Ananobi needs to be able to make the case to him that he is a 3 and D player. Hey, on your next contract, you might still only be a 3 and D player, but you're still worth more than you're making. We agree on that. We will pay you, OG, but you're not going to become Kawhi Leonard. That's not what you are. Yeah, and he'd be like the fourth option on this team. He should be the third or fourth option on every team. So, yeah, I think. Yeah, I want to like. And the case is easier to make here. Yeah, the the package, like negotiating with Toronto seems difficult, but, you know, should try it. Uh, Brendan, who's your next one? How about uh, Dorian Finney-Smith? So, like, I thought about this, and I just, it didn't feel sexy enough. I just, I want, I want. I, I wanted just a little. I, my my last name on my list sort of defeats the purpose of this, and we're like among the internet cyclists who are like, you know, Alex Caruso is a pretty sexy trade to make. But, um, I mean, he won a championship with the most popular team in the league. I, I think Alex Caruso is sexy. Just just basketball. physically too. I mean, sure. We'll just, while while we're at it, bald king. Again, Jalen sucks. Shave your head. Your market value goes up. Um, Finney Smith. If you were going to get him. And it's just like, this is the best we could do without expunging our assets and improve on the Harrison Barnes spots. I think that's fine. I think that would be a good bit of business that doesn't like really move the needle for me in a major way. I mean, if you were to say that the Kings have a better answer for opposing wings and forwards than they did last year, I mean, you'd feel a lot better about them. He's shooting 46% from three this year. It's, it's like a kind of a worse OG Ananobi deal. Really, if you think about it. I, if you don't think that's sexy, I had an even worse one for you, which was like the backup plan for, for, for Finney Smith, who's already the backup plan for OG, which was Tory Craig. That's like we really crapped out, but we just want to get like a ninth man for the playoffs. We, we need to send out a press release that we made a trade. So like our, our, our crazy fan base, you know, we just got to get a trade out. So like the fans know we did something. I had Boyan Bogdanovich. Thought about this a lot. Was wondering, like, the injury stuff with him is a little bit of a concern. We'll see how healthy he is now that he's back. He looked good in his return. Um, wouldn't hate it. With the, I think he's better than Barnes, for sure. I think I trust That's him. That's basically where I was. Yeah. The it's like, if you're not going to get defense from that spot, then just get better offense. <laughs> like, yeah. roll with it. But I guess it. don't. Couldn't you already just play um, the guy who's... I'm going to blank on his name. Um, on our favorite Western Conference team? Brennan, my, it's been a week. Um, Sasha Vazenkov is who you're yeah, talking could, about. Yes. Couldn't you just like play him more? Like if you're like... And just, sure. Like, save the assets for something else? Like he's playing... I would love to see them minutes. play him more. Played six minutes the other night. Played 14 against Denver. Like has is averaging 14 minutes a game. Just play him like 25. I have one last one for you that's even less sexy than anything we've already said. Okay. Daniel Gafford. They need a backup center. This team is playing JaVale McGee minutes in an NBA Cup game because they don't have another option. We talked about last week, they keep playing uh, Trey Lyles at center, who is like 6'9 and can't jump. Daniel Gafford on this team as a backup to, to Sabonis would actually like give them like a half point 
plus in their point differential, I feel like. Just by shoring up that 12 to 15 minutes a night. I really think that that could be worth it if they could trade like two seconds for Gafford. The, the problem with that is just the salary. It's like, do I want to have 12 million, 13.3 and 14.3 million dollars on my books the next couple of years? I don't really know if I do. No, probably not. That's that's like a lot. Daniel Gafford is like a fine backup center. I just I would rather I would like find 80 percent of that if I could and pay that guy four million dollars than I would give Daniel Gafford like close to mid-level money. No, you probably got to be starting him if you're going to acquire him on that contract. And then we're, yeah, then you're going down a whole other rabbit hole. All right, my last name, TJ McConnell, just like Alex Caruso, but like another version of it who's not totally in the rotation or in what's going on in Indiana right now. And like maybe they flip him for just some kind of asset and you get the, the guard. Like I don't, I, I would hate that bit of business for them. It's not going to cost much. So I think it's, it's totally fine. I mean, last year, in the playoffs, Davion Mitchell took four threes a game and made 26% of them. And even that made you feel like, okay, he's making 26%. We can survive with him defending Steph Curry. And it's not going to be a total nightmare. He's not turning the ball over. He keeps it moving. Now, Davion Mitchell's out of the rotation because they just can't live with the offense anymore. So if you got someone a little bit more playable on offense who could do some of what Davion Mitchell did for them, especially with how many guards there are in the West that they're going to need to to account for, I think they absolutely could be a McConnell team. I think the Suns might be a McConnell team. They've been interested for a while. Maybe the Pacers just say, hey, he's actually too important to our defense. But yeah, he he is going to be a name, I think, for sure. and, And Sacramento should be in on him. Making good, good, cheap contract to 8.7 this year, 9.3 next year. That's like Caruso, just on a really good deal for yeah. for what he is. Even if he's a little bit older, a little bit like certainly, I don't know if you want to be the team that gives him like his next multi-year contract. That the, even that number, but I think for the short term, that's that's a good plug and play. Any other Kings thoughts, Brendan? Before we wrap this up, no, that's it. it sucks that they lost, but yeah, the Pelicans you, had it all, going. Did any did anything about their performance so disappointing to, for them to fall out of the tournament in that way? I mean, just in general, it kind of sucked that they, I just think they're the be- they're better than New Orleans, frankly. So, I mean, I think that, but yeah, it was a little bit, uh, the offensive rebounding that New Orleans was able to, to get and, and the way that Valanchunas kind of bodied Sabonis a little bit was disappointing. You didn't have the best night from Fox. His three point percentage is kind of plummeting. He's down to like 36 again, where he started the year at plus 42 plus, um, no, I just think high-scoring games can go either way. New Orleans played better, but um, I think Sacramento needs moves in order to improve this year. I, I don't think that this roster is going to get them over the hump. I think they're going to be a, a toss-up to win a first-round series once again, and I don't think that's going to be good enough for them. Let's end there. I'm Chris Manning. That is Brendan Clean. Thanks again to everyone for, for tuning in to the Just Basketball Show. You're twice weekly look at all things basketball back on sunday we have the nba cup final we're back excuse me back on friday later in the day recapping thursday night's games recapping previewing the tournament finals we have a lot of nba cup content there and then sunday nba cup final and the WNBA draft lottery we're gonna find out if caitlin clark staying in school for another year on sunday we're going to find out if that new uh, Indiana investor is going to get his hopes up 
or maybe get Caitlin Clark. We'll see. I think maybe that 10% stake or whatever uh, maybe had a little bit of an eye toward did you, Iowa. Did you see, by the way, Sue Bird and Jason Sudeikis rolling up to an Iowa women's game? Sudeikis has some time on his hands. I don't know. You might have heard about that whole saga. So uh, we'll, we'll talk about this that after this. I have some questions for you. We're going to end there. I'm Chris Manning. That's Burning Clean. We'll talk to you all next time.